is Smith and Jones back again for another week. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you, and we are right in the midst of the conference finals in both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference as we get set for game two between the Celtics and the Heat and uh, awaiting, not tonight, but uh, another day, uh, game two between the Golden State Warriors and the Dallas Mavericks as well, with Dallas now licking their wounds a little bit, literally and figuratively, I guess, Jonesy, with Luka Doncic, that big scratch across his face. Uh, and, and I guess he got scratched and clawed, as did the Mavericks, in game one by the Golden State Warriors, who are looking every bit the part of the championship contender that they were for uh, years and years, just a few years ago. And all of a sudden, uh, it looks like the Warriors are right on top of the NBA yet again among the best of the best and putting themselves in a position to maybe make another run at a championship. Yeah, you know, Eric, that that first game after a seven-game or a closeout, you know, deciding game uh, is is really an interesting one for the team that has survived it. So you come through that game and you're riding the momentum, playing well, feeling good about yourself, or you're kind of patting yourself on the back and you're a little relieved and you're happy to advance, and then you get you get slapped in the face in game one. And and I think with the Mavericks, and Jason Kidd made a point of it too, they were also on the road, right? They left Dallas going for a, a game seven in Phoenix and were packed ready for a game one in San Francisco. Well, like it, it's kind of like, you know, that road trip. And and now they're still on the road, but they've at least they've had a ch- chance to, uh, you know, re- regain their equilibrium kind of, uh, refocus, I would think, between games one and two. So that that will be that will be interesting to see how game two goes, and um, it'll be interesting to see in this game tonight if the Celtics in, in the game on game two, if the Celtics, you know, Marcus Smart back, what they are able to do because they were great in the first half, and then Miami came out and 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 jumped them in the third quarter, and and the game turned in that regard, and never went back to the way it was. Well, you mentioned Marcus Smart. Uh, Al Horford as well. It uh, came down in the last hour or so, uh, officially official, that he has been cleared to play uh, for game two. So that's certainly huge news for the Celtics. That, And I know that uh, Shaq and Charles Barkley kind of got into this, Jonesy. I don't think you and I are going to disagree that the way that, that the, uh, the two of them did. Uh, I think I'm on uh, Team Charles when it comes to Marcus Smart is not going to completely shut down and stop Jimmy Butler. But when the defensive player of the year is not playing in game one, that's going to have an impact. And thus, it will have an impact having him back in game two because he will at least slow down Butler a little bit more. I don't see Butler going for 40-plus again. And if he does, maybe it's because... Smart is helping shut down others, and Jimmy basically has to score because everybody else is being stifled. Like, I mean, it's going to have a massive impact having Smart, let alone Smart and Horford, back in the lineup. It does, and 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 you know, Shaq is—he was all over that about oh well, he scored on Dikembe Mutombo. He's—he has to realize he's a different animal. Things are mm-hmm. different in that regard, and you know, you look at. I said it back in 2011 or 2012 when Avery Bradley was out for the Celtics against LeBron and Wade and Bosch, and somebody scoffed at me and said, oh, well, you know, he's like a, a backup point guard. I said, no, but he's a, a guy with a defensive mindset. 
and all it takes is one, maybe, you know, if you have one, great, but it all it takes is one guy to impact everybody else defensively and, and make it important and, you know, be quarterbacking and get guys in the right spots and, you know, have their attitudes change. So I, I expect a change with Boston uh, with, with Marcus Smart back in the lineup. He's, he's one of those guys that makes winning plays. Um, and don't say defense isn't important. Look at what uh, Canadian Andrew Wiggins did. You talked about Luca in, in, your, in your opening there, E. Look at what happened uh, the way Andrew Wiggins played, played uh, Luka Doncic. I thought he did a great job. Uh, wasn't bulky, but has enough size, enough quickness. Make him work for the shot. They can stay home. Uh, I, I thought the, the game plan on, on Luka was good. And Golden State's got one. So, you know, that's, I, 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 like, I like what I've, you know, I like what I've seen from Golden State. And as you said, they look, you know, they look every bit the champion right now. Well, and we'll talk more about the Warriors later on in the show when we're joined by uh, Golden State assistant coach and uh, former assistant with the Raptors and uh, with 905 as well. Jemma Malalela will be on the program later on as well. Longtime NBA executive, a former Raptors executive as well. Ed Stefanski will join us, but on the line right now, longtime Raptor and, of course, current Raptors television analyst. He joins us all the time because it's not just Smith and Jones. It's Smith and Jones and Williams, Alvin Williams, for his regular slot. Al, good to talk to you as always. What's up, guys? What's going on? Thanks for having me. And remember, when, when you talk to Jamma, Jamo's also, he's not just the assistant for the, for the uh, Warriors and for the Raptors. He was my whipping boy for many years when I worked with the Raptors, too. I used to beat him in one-on-one every single day. Just remind him of that when you get talk to him. <laughs> we'll do just that, Al. We will do just that. In fact, you know what? Make sure that Austin has that, that tape ready to play for Jamma here in the next uh, – 20 or 30 minutes when we bring it back onto the line and then I'll, I'll send you the clip of what Jam has to say back. Um, Al, Al we're, we're a game into the conference finals on both sides. We're awaiting game two of the East going later on. Um, maybe it's too early to ask you this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did anything stand out for you? Did anything kind of pique your interest that thought you thought maybe, maybe this could spill over into game two or, or into further into the series? Did anything kind of jump out at you yet? I mean, well, watching, you know, fresh on the mind is how well the Warriors played yesterday. They were defensively, they were locked in. They remind me of the Warriors teams that we saw when they played, when they, you know, were a championship team, when they had those championship championship runs. They don't have the size that they had, but the detail and the intensity and the ability for guys to guard multiple positions and stick to a game plan. The defense was there. You know, you always think about Golden State and their offensive abilities. But when they were their best teams, they were the best defensive teams in the NBA. They were one one or two best defensive teams. So their defense really stuck out to me, and I think that's going to carry over throughout the season or throughout the series because that's who they are. And from the Boston and Heat series, it was hard to tell because, you know, Boston was shorthanded. And it's one of those things, if Marcus Smart is there and Al Horford, not just being shorthanded, that's two key components that you know they were missing so it's just hard to tell what was what you can take from um the boston and, and the heat series al when you talk about the defensive stuff um looking at the way you know uh, miami will guard jason tatum and we we're just talking about what what andrew wiggins did with with uh luka Doncic. how important is it to formulate the game plan in that sense like okay you know what we're gonna we're gonna make 
Luca work for 40 tonight, and Jalen Brunson's getting nothing. Dorian Finney-Smith gets gets nothing. Uh, you know, all the supporting cast gets like. How important is it to 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 establish that game plan and then stick to it because you might have to throw it out midway through the game if you find that it's not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's very important to come up with that game plan. Now, unfortunately for the Warriors, you know, Brunson they weren't hitting, and you know, these guys weren't hitting the way they were hitting in the previous series. But that's one of those things where at any time, you know, those guys are capable of making shots. And once they make shots, now it's really going to loosen up things for Luka. But for right now, the game plan, you know, make Luka work, stay in front of him, and load up a side and force him to that side, whether it's right hand or left hand. You know, force him to that side, contest the step back going left, and then just compete. And Wiggins did a great job of competing. And then the other team, the other teammates, they did a good job of loading, you know, not not giving up the game plan. Now, once these guys start making shots, the supporting cast start making shots, that's when the adjustment has to come. And and the, the Warriors have to be ready for that. But for right now, you see it. You saw, you know, Miami with the same thing. They're going to load in and make the other players try to hurt you, the Pritchards and all the Williamses and all these guys got to hurt, hurt you. But we're going to lock in on Tatum. We're not going to allow Tatum to carry the load. And if he does and those guys start hitting, now we have to make those adjustments. But it's, very, it's critical to come up with that initial game plan to make sure that um, you don't allow the team to, 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 to attack their strengths. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, i got to give you a couple prefaces on this. If, I mean, you guys, can, you guys can attest to the fact that I am by no means any sort of Adonis. So I should be the last one, you know, throwing any shots at anybody. And Jonesy, feel free to jump in here at any point because I, I feel like, I, you know, I, you might be holding my hand down this path a little bit here. Al, he's in the conference finals. He is one of the premier players in the league. He's allegedly or supposedly LeBron James's favorite player right now. The guy's an all-world talent. You just spoke about what Wiggins did to kind of slow him down, but he's still an incredible player and might be the guy to carry the torch in the post-LeBron era. And yet I still look at Luka and go, he could be and should be better if he was in better shape and if he took care of his body more. He looks still in the conference finals, a little fleshy to me. And I wonder if this is a guy that going forward has another level to get to, which seems crazy because he's already so good as he starts to take care of his body and his nutrition and everything else that much more, and he becomes that much more of this fine-tuned specimen going forward in his career. Yeah, yeah, that's always key, you know, taking care of your body. But honestly, man, Luke is a great player, but I'm not – I'm I'm not on the Luca wagon, right? I'm not that guy because to me, I've seen. I might have mentioned it on you guys' show before. I've seen this is James Harden in Houston to me. You know, someone who who's ball dominant, who can score yeah. with the best of them, that can get assists. Not far from a great defensive player, and you ride and die with his success. James Harden wasn't in the best shape, and you start seeing it around this time when they would have in the second round or playoffs, and they talk a lot about him not showing up. I think it is conditioning. I think it's part of that. But they're very similar players to me, and they are great. Harden was the MVP. Harden, you know, top 75 player and, and all these things, and he's, he broke a lot of records. He's done a lot of things on the offensive side. I've seen this with Luka. Luka's a little bigger, but I've seen this player, and to me, it's the same equation. I don't know how how you win with that player like that. Although the difference between Harden and Lucas, Dallas is a much better team defensive 
a, a defensively team. So Houston wasn't a defensive team. So I think that gives Lucas some leeway as well as for being successful. But they're they're very similar players. So I'm not on that wagon, but I do agree with you, uh, E. You have to be conditioned mentally and physically when you get to this stage of your uh, of, of the season. Al and, and Eric and I, we had a couple games last year when the Raptors played Dallas, and I said, and you know the talk was about Luca, and I said to E, I said, just watch him. When he loses the ball, coaches always talk about transition defense, turn, and the first three steps determine how well you're going to get back there. Are you are you busting your hump? Are you sprinting in your first three steps? Man, Luca looks like my grandfather shuffling in his bedroom <laughs> slippers. When he turns the ball over, there is no sense of urgency. And and to your point, Al, Jason Kidd is stressing defense and we know you can hide one guy. You can't hide two, three, or four, but you can right. hide one guy. And they're pressing him. They're pushing him to play better defense, but they're still basically hiding him. And I, I, I'm with you. I think it's he's a great player. I'm not taking anything away from him. But I'm also on the people are so interested in the numbers side of things. I'm more into the qualitative, the guys making winning plays like, like a Marcus Smart or a you know, or, or, or a, a Kavon Looney or, I mean, not that they're in the category of Luka, but if you're, if you're a great player, you also have to make winning plays. And I don't see that at the other end all the time from Luka. That's that just me. Like you, I'm not quite, I'm not quite on the wagon yet. I'm the door's open. I'm standing outside. If it starts to move the right way, I'll jump on. But right now I'm not. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, and once again, James Harden, you know, his run in Houston was an unbelievable run. Statistically, entertainment, like I said, MVP, he got that. Like he, he was a phenomenal player. But when you really dissect the game and you looked at winning basketball, you have to you have to formulate a team around that person that, that's gonna help that's gonna help that person, right? It's gonna help them win because that person's not gonna generate the type of energy that you're gonna need on a defensive end. And you know, distributing the basketball as a team. You know, LeBron James is one of those guys that you can rely on. He can guard the best player on the other team. He's going to distribute the ball. He's going to score the ball. He's going to control a game in many facets overall. Those two players, and it's not a lot of players like LeBron James. Let's get that correct. But, you know, Luka Doncic, as good as he is, is still he has a lot of deficiencies of the overall game to win. And he's young, so hopefully you can learn it. Or the Dallas Mavericks. They can continue putting the pieces around him that can support him and let him be the best version of himself. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, let me jump back for a little bit here. We've, we've touched on, on both conference finals. Um, I don't know if there is a clear answer, and I know that blank happens, but what the heck happened to the Phoenix Suns? Man, well, first, you know, they ran into a heck of a team with a heck of a game plan. You know, and and we we grinding Luca up, but the way he started that game and the way he put his imprint on the game from the offensive side, making shots and you know his his confidence, his approach, you know he he was just on another level. I think they ran into that buzzsaw, and they just, they just didn't play well. And unfortunately, a game seven at home, when you have that that opportunity, you you do all those things all year to get that home court advantage, and it goes to show it home court advantage is not always you know, the answer. And they just ran into a buzzsaw, and it happens. Unfortunately, you know, you have those bad games. 
and I can't really say what they didn't do and what they should have done. It just seemed like it was just one of those games where Dallas came out, they played their butts off. Defensively, I watched the clip, and you just heard Jason Kidd's voice in the background, and you saw the activity of the players, and you saw them, you know, double-team and wall up, you know, uh, Booker and make the other players hurt you, and they just couldn't step up. So I just think it was a, a great game plan by the Mavericks and the Suns not having had one of their worst games of the season, unfortunately. It's all about timing. Al, uh, I want to jump back to the East. Um, what, do, what are you seeing, and we'll probably be able to talk before it ends, but what are you seeing out of this Miami-Boston uh, series, um, especially the way Eric and I talked about it, especially the way uh, Boston will be defensively with, with those two guys coming back, one of them being the defensive player of the year? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see you know Boston at full throttle because the way they played against Brooklyn, and the way they played against, I thought that that you know that they had they they did everything they needed to do to win that Milwaukee series from a physical standpoint. You know, playing against a Giannis and you know a physical guard and Drew Holiday, but the things that they did on the defensive side and how they compete and and be physical. And now you have Tatum and Brown, and you have guys stepping up. I just Boston is a dangerous team, and usually you look at the the Miami team, and they're usually the physical team and the tough team, and they do have that personality. But Boston, I think, is on another another level of that physicality and that attention to detail, and just better players, you know. Right now, of course, Miami's shorthanded without a Kyle Lowry, but I think Boston still, although Miami looked very good, Jimmy Butler had a phenomenal game. Is he going to be a forty? Is he going to average forty points for the series? I don't know. I, I doubt it. But I, I still like Boston in that series because Boston is just playing the more complete games that I've seen out of, out of most of the teams. Other than uh, the Warriors game last night, Boston has been the most complete team offensively and defensively throughout throughout the second half of the season. Hey Al, not that there aren't some quality bigs still playing in the four teams that are remaining, but. It's interesting how the narrative can change quickly within a matter of a week or two or, or, or less uh, where we might have been talking about, oh, what do you need to do to keep up with a, you know, a traditional, a bit of a more traditional big like a Nikola Jokic or a Joel Embiid. And all of a sudden now conference finals comes and there aren't really any traditional quote-unquote bigs left. And it's, it's some undersized teams and it's more athleticism. How much of an impact do you think that has on various clubs around the league in terms of what they might do or not do? constructing their various rosters in the offseason yeah i mean the league is a copycat league so you know you've, you've seen the big man become extinct you know other than you know a joker or or joel Embiid and those guys from the offensive side they have you know they're mvp candidates but i still believe you know i know i'm old school but i still believe once you have that you know that piece on your team your team is just more versatile you, you can go in different styles. You can go in different directions defensively. You can go in different directions on the offensive side. And I still believe once you get into the playoffs, when the games slow down and you want to get a team in foul trouble, you want to protect the paint, you want to do different things, you use your big man. And unfortunately, you see a lot of teams, they don't go that direction. Now, one, because they don't have that person on their roster. And now the style of the game has just changed so much. But I still believe, you know, that big man, traditional big man, if they're good enough, they could be a big impact on games. But now it's good to see now because games are the teams now that are playing the four teams, they're now evenly matched. So now it's really going to be about strategy and, and who, who does things, you know, better than the other team. 
Al, we appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, good chatting with you again, and we'll hook up again next week. Thanks, Thanks for having Al. me, guys. Have a good one. There All is right. Alvin Williams. Uh, of course, longtime Toronto Raptor and Raptors television analyst on Sportsnet. We should make mention as well, in case you've been living under a rock. If you're a Raptor fan, you know this, but I'll pass it along anyways. No great surprise as the rookie of the year, of course, was named to the all-rookie team, the first team, Scotty Barnes. Uh, so another feather in his cap, Jonesy, for the type of season that he had. And uh, there was no doubt about uh, you know the fact that he was going to be on that team and certainly sets up the Raptors for a pretty bright future uh, looking ahead to next season and beyond. And a man that, uh, well, he was a part of things for many years here in TO, and he's been a part of things for a lot of organizations around the league, long-time executive in the NBA. And uh, I'll call him a friend of the show, even though we haven't had a chance to speak in quite some time. We bring on to the program Ed Stefanski. Ed, thanks for the time. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, it's uh... – Following Alvin Williams, that's hard to do. That's one of my favorite guys, that guy. Yeah, no, he's one of ours too. But, Ed, uh, you know, back in 92 when I worked in in Barcelona on on the uh, production on the Canadian side for the Dream Team, word was that um, they never let Patrick Ewing speak. Magic Johnson and Larry Bird said to Patrick Ewing, you can't talk because you don't have a title. And so right now, since Eric Smith is a Buffalo Bills fan, and you and I obviously have a connection to the Cleveland Browns, Eric Smith will not be allowed to talk for the next minute or two while I, while I, while I, while I, while I set it up so that I can one day meet, meet, meet the guy that's leading the team that I've been watching since I was sitting on my dad's knee. But Ed, that's a conversation for another time. I just, I just wanted to block Eric for a little bit as he's jumping up and down. Like, you know, he had the nerve to wear like a Buffalo Bills hat to uh, one of our broadcasts and like, you know, we, the, the Josh Allen jersey. And I, I guess I got to give him that, but we're just making sure that we get a little further than them. So, so tell, tell Kevin that like, well, just so a you special... know, my son Kevin is awfully excited about this season. Very, very excited. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's what I want to hear. Ed, let's talk some let's talk some hoops. And and um, I'm being respectful the, over here by not saying anything. Just so just so we're clear, I'm I'm being respectful know, of Ed. He's 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 throwing it the fact Ed that that the Browns didn't make the playoffs and we've been going at it for for two years like this because the year before we made it further than the Bills did. So anyway, all Ed, right. Ed, the draft lottery has just happened, Ed. Take us through the thinking of some of the teams because we know teams that have been in the lottery for years and it's about making the right pick. And and so much more goes into it than just looking at a kid's ability, doesn't it? Well, you know, it, 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 like, yeah, I've been at a lot of these drafts, but look at what you guys did last year. Uh, you sat there patiently, which I think in a lot of drafts that I've been in, I think if you sit there, it usually comes to you in a lot of cases, more cases than none. Uh, your guys, Scotty Barnes is terrific. I think that draft was terrific. Um, you know, Kate Cunningham started out the season. I said, yeah, he's going to be a nice piece for us. And at the end of the year, that kid was playing big-time basketball. And now so exciting for Detroit and where we got a player like that, Mobley, I could have argued that he was the best player in the draft. I think the kid Green down in Houston has all these talent, skills also. So it, it, it's, uh, it, was, it was a real good draft this year. 
Uh, I think you're going to do a lot of studying like everybody does. Uh, but I am huge after all these years. I really think there's a couple things is, you know, besides having the size and length, is what kind of person this player is, what the character is, what the work ethic is. Uh, does, it, does the player really want to get in the gym? And then I think basketball IQ is crucial. And uh, Scotty Barnes, uh, I think, fits that mold. Hey, Ed, on that point then, how much has it changed over the years? Not to imply that five years ago, let alone 15, 20-plus years ago, you were only taking talent and not concerned about personality, but has it changed the process of interviewing a player, let alone evaluating a player, let alone then committing to said player? Yes. Uh, in the beginning, you were in that at the Chicago Combine or wherever the Combine was, and we uh, you know, there would be all the executives in there and the scouts talking now. Everyone has a psychologist uh, in the room uh, pretty much uh, managing the conversation and trying to figure out uh, the young man and, and uh, some taking tests. Uh, I just think it's, it's, it's uh, used to be, too. If the kid was off the charts athletically, he could get away with stuff. I don't think that's the case as much in, in the NBA today. I think, yeah, you do want great athletes, but – they don't have that IQ, and if they can't make a shot, and, and I've been with a few players that have been great players, but when you can't make a shot, when you get into the playoffs, you're now playing five on four, which is very difficult to do. So the skill set has come back, and a lot is because of the new rules that came in, I don't know how many years ago, about hand-checking and, and really impeding the offense. and It's, it, it's more geared towards an offensive uh, player and uh, the, the league wanted that and the NBA is healthy and the fans love it. So uh, you're going to see more offense than you're going to see defense. Ed, when you talk about the development, I mean, you were part of the, the development system here in Toronto. Um, you know, cases, Dwayne still does a terrific job with all of it and, you know, attention to detail with, with the development in, in Detroit what are some of the key factors that you look at when you're because we know all the kids don't develop at the same time. Like what, what are some of the key factors you're you're really highlighting to get a kid to, to make jumps and to make strides? Yeah, uh, it is very I, I, I don't want to say it's a science, but we put a lot of effort in. We did when we were in in Toronto, as you said, cases, I think, excellent in developing young men. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. Uh, there's a lot of planning going on the coaches, what the pluses and minuses of the player. Uh, we, we do a lot of uh, keeping statistics, I'll say, on and finding out where the player is not progressing. Uh, and then you got to go in the performance room, of in the weight room, and, and various things they do now. We used to be just lifting weights. It's a lot more now. The nutrition side of it is gigantic. Uh, the money spent. Uh, by these NBA teams to feed these players, but feed them the right way. Uh, the psychologists, uh, to get their brain right, uh, all these things come in, into factor. And when we were in Toronto, um, you know, Larry Tannenbaum, I think, is one of the best owners. Uh, you, you guys know I love Toronto. I just love the city and the fans. Uh, but I think what Case did and the players developing them, um, I think, was, was terrific. And uh, 
I think he's doing a good job again. The record may not be shown, but we're in a total rebuild in Detroit right now. Speaking with Ed Stefanski of the Pistons and longtime executive in the NBA as well, former executive with the Toronto Raptors. Ed, I guess I want to stay on this path because I find it very interesting, and I'm sure the audience does as well. In today's day and age, how much does personality but also image factor into things too? Because long I've been told and and felt as well um, that you can't have a bunch of choir boys, you need a little bit of sandpaper, but at the same time, um, you know, in today's day and age with the rise of social media and with guys having their own platforms, their own website, their own people, their own PR firms, etc., it's about image as well. And how much does that factor into the total package that is said player when somebody comes to your organization? Yeah, I think that becomes some t- uh, definitely an issue you have to work with because of social media. Some players uh, and the agents take it to a, a level that you have to maybe sometimes reel in. Uh, I agree with your assessment. You don't want all choir boys, and I'm laughing to myself. Um, when I was in the, with the New Jersey Nets, uh, we had Jason Kidd, who was just a, as tough as nails, and he was the captain, and, and, the, and the players knew they better be ready to play. But the one guy was Kenyon Martin. And now, that was mm-hmm. not, there was no fake toughness with the Kenyon Martin. He came <laughs> to, to play every time. And then when we traded for Kyle, uh, the one thing I said to Brian, because I'm from Philly and I watched Kyle in high school, I said, at least, listen, we may not win all the games, but you want Kyle to have your back. If you're in that foxhole, Kyle Lowry's the guy to have. And uh, they're the kind of guys you've got to have a, a one, at least one on every team because I, when you have a Kyle Lowry, a Kenyon Martin, the other guys get a little bit more – get a little tougher when they know they have those kind of guys on their team. Ed, can you build those guys through personality? Can you see that and bring that out in a guy, or is that just – I mean, I, everybody knows Kenyon Martin. I mean, those guys are just, they're, they're kind of Marcus Smart. Those guys are just hard to find, aren't they? Yeah, they, they, they just play so hard competitive. They'll, they'll rip your heart out. They'll try to do anything to win, and uh, you need a couple of those guys because it, it definitely, the other players play off of it. They complement uh, that kind of player. And, uh, you know, you, but you need the great skilled guys. You need the guys that can put the ball in the basket. And I'm thinking Toronto. I'm thinking when when I was with them too. Uh, you need a Vince Carter, okay? I don't care uh, who, what team. Vince can put the ball in the basket. Uh, you know, I know the fans probably, hopefully, have forgiven him in Toronto. But uh, a guy with that kind of talent, and then you put other guys to compliment. So when you have a Vince Carter kind of player, um, you just put players around to compliment them. All right, so Ed, I don't want to get you in any kind of trouble here. I don't think I am in asking this question because I'm not asking you to, to like tamper. You're not, you're not talking about trying to acquire anybody. I'm just asking you, and I'll, and I'll even include Cade Cunningham in the mix because I've, I've not yet met him. I, I've not yet interviewed him. But from the outside, he looks like he's a guy that's got a heck of a lot of talent, but he's also got the personality. He's got the star power to go along with what I'm about to ask. Give me a handful of guys. Maybe it includes Cade as well. Ed, that you look at and say, in the in the post-LeBron era, whenever that comes, you know, KD is still all-world, but he's probably on the back nine, not the front nine. Who are some of the guys that are going to carry the torch for the league in terms of the talent, but also the image for the next, I don't know, five, ten years? 
Yeah, this isn't tampering because you're never, ever going to get these guys. (laughs) I am loving the NBA playoffs right now. I am absolutely enjoying it. I love Tatum. You know, I've been right and I've been wrong. There's no science to this draft, but I love Tatum coming out of uh, Duke. Absolutely love him. He's terrific. I mean, he is taking his game to another level. Uh, He's becoming a franchise-type player as well as Brown is is, uh, – you know, uh, complimenting him as a, a perennial all-star. And then uh, Jean Morant, uh, I was in uh, Memphis when we got uh, Jaron Jackson, and then I left for Detroit. And the following year, they were fortunate enough to go from nine to two. And, you know, everybody wanted Zion. There's no – who didn't? I mean, I love people would step up and say, oh, I was going to take Odom over Durant. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, the, same, the same thing here. Everybody was taking Zion Williamson. And John Moran is, wow. I mean, he's so much fun to watch. I've never seen a kid. I mean, I've seen quick guys get by it, but how he, he lays in the air there and just suspends himself uh, watching him play. And then Donches, are you kidding me? I was over in Madrid for a week watching him play, and I'm saying, geez, he plays like a 35-year-old man in a, in a bar league, just, you know, uh, taking you apart. It doesn't look like he's going anywhere. And – can he do it in this level? I thought he was going to be a good player, but I didn't see generational player, and that's what we may have in our hands, a generational player. So, I mean, all these guys, it's so great because, you know, the other players who have carried us for the past uh, decade, they're getting older, obviously. And now these young guys coming in, it, it is uh, just so much fun to watch these young kids get better and better. Ed, we really appreciate the time and the insight today. Thanks uh, for for joining us. Good to catch up with you, and I'm sure we'll be uh, we'll be bugging you again at some point over the course of the summer. Anytime, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Ed. There is Ed Stefanski, executive with the Detroit Pistons, consultant as well, and uh, longtime NBA executive, uh, former. Uh, executive with the Toronto Raptors as well. Let's step aside for the break, Jonesy. Come back with. Uh, Golden State Warriors assistant coach Gemma Malalela. But before we take the break, I want to remind you that you should subscribe to Smith & Jones. Wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you subscribe. Then you can download, rate, review. You can share it, all that good stuff, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or others. Uh, just search Smith & Jones. Back with more in a moment. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you again. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review as well. Joining us on the line right now, of course, we know him quite well from this side of the border and all the years that he spent with the Toronto Raptors and with Raptors 905 as well. But see, he's an assistant coach now and has been for a while with the Golden State Warriors, with the Warriors leading one game to none in the Western Conference Finals. We bring into the conversation Jamma Malalela. Jamma, great to talk to you. E, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to hear your voice again, and, and hope you guys are doing well over there. Uh, yeah, we're, we're doing we're good. well, Gemma. Yeah, and, and Jonesy, let me jump in for one second before we get serious for a second. Well, this might be serious. I don't know. I, I, I Not to imply that this isn't serious, Jamma, but I have to play something for you because I could okay. either do this right at the beginning or I could do it at the end, but we had a guest on the show earlier, about 30 minutes ago, who had this to say about you. What's up, guys? What's going on? Thanks for having me. And remember, when, when you talk to Jamma, Jamo's also, he's not just an assistant for the, for the uh, Warriors and for the Raptors. He was my whipping boy 
for many years when I worked with the Raptors, too. I used to beat them in one-on-one every single day. Just remind them of that when you get talk to them. All right, Jamma. Alvin Williams had some words for you. <laughs> Unbelievable. He's the biggest cheater I have ever seen on the one-on-one basketball court you could possibly imagine. He changed the rules after every game to find a way to win. <laughs> well, you, you should have just told him you were like a development coach. You wanted him to feel good about his game, right? So, so. That's right. I'm building confidence. That's my, you're right, building confidence. Build, there, sure. you, there you go. There you go. J- Jamma, uh, look, the, the Warriors have to be confident now. Eric and I were talking about it off, this, off the top of the show, how they look very much in the form of, uh, you know, a championship team. And you've been down this road before. Draw some similarities at this point in the season. There's only four teams left as to where the Warriors look in terms of championship, like getting to the, to the end of the, the finish line, getting to the tape, because they've been through it and you've been through it. And what do you see now that's really making you say, yeah, you know what? There's a very good possibility this could happen. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think right now it's sort of we're just one game in. And I think the first game, usually at this point in the playoffs, going into your third round, is more a reflection of what your last round was like. So for us playing Memphis in the previous round, that was sort of real dogged defense and, you know, supreme athletes everywhere. Um, and, and then switching over now to Dallas with a bit more skill and sort of Doncic and one-on-one play, I think it just sort of savored us a little bit more in that first round versus their transition from Phoenix to us. Um, you know, so I think game one is sort of more about the transition and we kind of got the better end of the stick on that one. Game two will tell the tape in terms of, you know, how the adjustments are made and, and what it looks like. But, but in terms of the way the team is playing, I think there's definitely some sense that, you know, the team could be good and, you know, get through two rounds is no, is no small feat. Um, and now, you know, we, we, the, the focus, as it always is, is, is on game two. And that's all that we can really think about and focus on. And we went in today and made a bunch of adjustments and things we're going to look at, and things we think that Coach Kidd might do, you know, to, to alter our, our attack against them. And, and we'll see what happens. Hey, Jam, all the jokes aside about Alvin, one of the points that he was making earlier in the show when it came to Golden State was so many people focus, and understandably so, and rightfully so, focus on the offense and the offensive firepower of past teams and this current team. But lost in the shuffle sometimes is this is a damn good defensive team, and they were back then as well. The foundation has been laid defensively, and we certainly saw it from Andrew Wiggins with the job that he and others, but a lot of Andrew, on Doncic in Game 1 and just the collective team defense against Dallas as well. How much of a focus is that and has that been for your team this year and in this postseason? I think you're right. I mean, even me when I was with Toronto, like you kind of always thought of Golden State as an offensive juggernaut. And, you know, in coaching circles, we knew they guarded and we knew Draymond was elite. But we never sort of, or at least I didn't have a full appreciation for the commitment to defense that this organization has. And obviously Mike Brown has been leading our defense and he's, you know, moving on with Sacramento is sort of, you know, great for him and, and his career. Um, but I think as we look at the series and, 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 and Wiggs specifically, like the guy's unbelievable on Luca, right? I think all of us were almost surprised with the effort that he put forth and his ability to sort of read when Luca was going to shoot it, when he was going to drive it. Um, and then built behind that was this amazing job of contesting threes last night. I think we held them for, I don't know, 11 for 48 or something. They got 48 of them up but only made 11, and I think our level of contest was, was, was a part of that. And we got to keep flying around and, and, and keep sort of identifying who are the real hot shooters, and they got a ton of them, and try and you know, hopefully make them miss as many as we can. Jamma, it's interesting you talk about Andrew's defense, Andrew Wiggins' defense. Um, you know, caught Mike Brown in a private moment, and he talked about what a good defender Andrew was and how 
I mean, having coached LeBron, he watched Andrew defend LeBron and make him uncomfortable. Has this always been in Andrew Wiggins and it just it needed the right situation, the right coach, the right motivation, the right whatever to bring it out of him? Because, I mean, he, look, not only did he make shots, but as you said, I, I think he was a huge part of what happened defensively against Luka. Yeah, without without question. I mean, I think I think also Wiggs' defense has been a little underrated his his whole career. I mean, he's guarded the best wing on the other team his whole career. He's guarded LeBron. He's guarded KD. Like that's always his matchup. Whenever you play those guys, Kawhi, whoever whoever it happens to be. Um, but this year, I think with sort of you know what's built behind it, with Draymond behind him, with sort of like this sense of of team defense, Steph is guarding better than he's ever guarded as well. So I think it makes Wiggins, you know, the, the stage is a bit brighter for him to shine. And I think he's had a great season, right? You look at it, his offensive outputs improved, his three point shooting, but his sort of defensive grit. And then through the playoffs, the thing we've all noted here is his rebounding has been the big the biggest difference. I mean, it's, uh, specifically against Memphis, like he started ten plus rebound games. Like for him, that's unheard of. And, and when he does that and gives that kind of effort, man, we're, we're a pretty good team. Speaking with Jamma Malalela, assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Jamma, I'm going to pull a name out that maybe doesn't get talked a lot about. We've heard a ton, and rightfully so, understandably so, about Jordan Poole, the season he's had, the postseason he has had, and, of course, the return of, of Clay Thompson and the continued dominance of Curry, etc. How important is a guy like Otto Porter Jr. in that second unit? Yeah, I think yesterday you really saw it for us. He was five for seven or something coming into the game um, and just sort of contributed offensively. But but what he does more so for us is anchor second unit with space and with cutting. And I think Otto's brilliance is that he understands the game so well. And so when you put him out there with other sort of really skilled players, he just makes it easy, right? Him and, and, and Pialica together, they can just move the ball and hum it side to side and find cutters. And then you had Jordan kind of coming off pick and rolls and being sort of an elite pick-and-roll handler with auto spacing and cutting, it, he's definitely an important part of, of, of our push, and I think he changes the look for us too, and I think it makes it a tough guard for, for second units to sort of find him. And again, he, just like Wiggs, has rebounded tremendously, and I think him, his work on the glass with his size uh, you know, makes him just a really important part of our second unit. Jamma, uh, you, you talked about it, the, the whole defensive thing. Uh, look, he was touting himself for Defensive Player of the Year, um, as a guy who's, I don't know if he's undersized, but he's kind of a mid-sized guy, Draymond Green has a tremendous impact on the defense as well, doesn't he? Oh, he's, he's, he's our anchor. He's our everything. You know, and I think, you know, even coming coming to the Warriors and, you know, being you know in Toronto for so long, you sort of, you know, the team feels far away a little bit and, and you hear all the talk about Draymond. But living it each and every day and seeing him in practice and seeing how he relates to his teammates and seeing the passion and, and the hunger and sort of that winning attitude and culture that he really, truly does bring is special. I mean, he's one of the most special athletes I've ever worked with. And it's both sides of the ball, but, but I think it's just who he is, too. It's just he walks in the gym and there's a presence about him and there's a, a focus on winning the game that is, you know, unmatched almost. And I think that that kind of carries through to the other teammates and, and the Jordan Pools of the world get on board and, our young guys like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, they got on board and were like, we can win with Draymond. And he kind of, you know, he, he definitely drives our ship. You know, Jim, one of the other things that stood out as an X factor, and I don't know if you've got sort of the uh, the blinders on the eyes and the ears to not notice it in the moment, but you, you, you referenced it earlier, you know, going back to the Toronto days. You saw and heard what it was like in that building when the Raptors won the championship. And you know what that building's been like for the Warriors over the years in Oakland. Now we shift the attention to San Francisco, and there were some, at least on the outside, and I think even in the Bay Area, wondering, all right, how is this going to transfer 
to San Fran? Are they going to have the same type of crowd? And I'll tell you, what I saw at least in round two for certain stretches and definitely in game one and post-game with, you know, helps with the TNT broadcast there and anything else, that crowd was the ultimate six men as much as they've ever been at Oracle. And if Chase can keep that up and San Fran can keep that up, that's going to be a major factor for years to come for the Warriors. No, they were getting pretty rowdy last night. You could sort of feel it. And, you know, you remember sort of our series with them, you know, Raptors versus, versus Golden State for the finals. And, and, you know, you could feel the, the intensity of that fan base, right? You could just, it was palpable when you're in the arena and Oracle's such an incredible space. Um, and I think Chase is like, is getting there, right? And, and as we started the season, it was a little bit quieter. And the second half of the season got a little bit louder. First round louder, second round louder, and you know, and I agree. Game one yesterday was the loudest it, it had been, and it felt like there was that sort of pulsating energy that really can carry us. And we've obviously been good at home um, all season, but also in the playoffs. So you know, at home court versus Dallas, that's a good thing for us. And and uh, we got another home game tomorrow, so it's we definitely ask the fans to do the same thing. And it it is funny though. I think that's one of the things I miss a lot about Toronto too. You know, like I think that fan base that we have there is so incredible, um, and it, I'm just reminded of it. I think it's two of the best ones in, in the in the league. Well, Jamma, we've kept you uh, long enough here. I'm sure you got a lot of work to do to get ready for tomorrow night, so appreciate you carving out 10 minutes or so with us. And, uh, uh, you know, hey, best of luck, and if you make it through to the finals, I'm sure we're going to be bugging you again. Sounds good. All, all the best guys, and tell Avin to beat it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to get him next time. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. We definitely will. All right, Jamma. Thanks, Jamma. Thanks, guys. There is Jamma Malalela, assistant coach of the Golden State Warriors, game two of that series going on Friday night following the 25-point blowout victory in Game 1 for Golden State. Um, Jones, we got a couple of minutes left here before we've got to wrap things up for another edition of Smith & Jones. Make sure you subscribe to the show, the podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review, share as well. If you missed most of the show tonight or even just a tiny bit of the show, you can always listen back to the podcast and uh, catch up anytime. Um, one thing, I guess, that, that stands out for me that I want to bring up before we close here is circling back to Scotty Barnes and the all-rookie team, um, I'm still waiting for how things might play out with the all-NBA team and, and where things might land. And it's kind of quiet right now. And it's interesting that most of the award winners, most of the major award winners, are all out now, right? Whether it's the MVP, mm-hmm. whether it's the rookie, yeah. whether it's the coach of the year. You know, the only one still standing, defensive player of the year, and Marcus Smart, but you know, there's going to be still a lot of people that we think back to great regular seasons, but, hey, there's only four teams and only a select handful of players that are still going. Yeah, um, and this is what it's about. As we said with, you know, we're talking to Jamma and we talked to Alvin, it's about guys making winning plays. And I think sometimes, um, especially in this day and age when numbers hold such a premium, uh, the numbers overshadow things, and it's it's about the bottom line and winning and getting it done. And, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, MVP argument, uh, you know, nobody probably gave Steph Curry a lot of consideration. He's won it before. Is there voter fatigue? Like, what, what kind of a year did he have, comparatively speaking? But you know what? His team's still alive for the chip right now. Miami doesn't have, didn't have a guy that was in that conversation. Heck, even Boston, like Tatum might have been on the periphery at the end. But look at what you have. Look at, look at who's left. You know, there's only one big name in that sense with Luka Doncic. But the rest of the guys are, 
hey, it's about winning plays. And I, I think that's what you, when you're building your team, uh, yeah, you can look for a, a guy to pull the cart, but you better have a good supporting cast or else you're going nowhere. All right, I want to leave folks with a, a little bit of a rumor, perhaps, or a little bit of a nugget, a little tidbit. Canada Basketball announced earlier today that the uh, Canadian senior men's team is going to have a press conference on Tuesday, May 24th, 10 a.m. In attendance, Michael Bartlett, President and CEO, Rowan Barrett, General Manager and Executive VP, Nick Nurse, Head Coach of the team, and also Mike Morielli, CEO of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. My spidey senses are tingling, Jonesy. I think the uh, little... The little rumor that we had, the little rumble that perhaps Canada might be hosting a game in the FIBA qualifiers, eh, I think it might be happening. I think. I don't know. Bo I don't know. Board members, board we'll members sworn to secrecy. We'll find out on Tuesday.